The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Turn your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3, and I have a very unusual message for you tonight. Um, you'll look at your lesson sheet there, your listening sheet, and you'll notice there is no outline on it, because all tonight's lesson is introduction to a, a five-part message on this great portion of scripture that we have here, and um, I'm going to do something very, very much different in just a few minutes. I'm going to t- tell you or read to you a story, or at least part of a story, that perfectly fits the scriptures that we're studying here and I think are a, a good, a good, helpful introduction for us. So tonight we're starting in Galatians chapter 23, and the subject that I want to speak to you on is free from the law. And in this part of the scriptures, the Apostle Paul is speaking about the, the great realization that the believer has in Christ that we've been free from the bondage of the law, and now we live in the light of God's grace. In verses 3 and 4 of chapter 3, Paul says, Are ye so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are ye now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? Now, the Galatians at first believed in the gospel of grace, but they had become confused by the Judaizers, and so they sought to uh, uh, come back under the bondage of the law. And that was just simply bewildering to Paul. And and he's, he's responding to them like, what are you thinking? Can you be made perfect by your flesh? Or did you suffer the ridicule and the rejection of the law keepers just to give up after all and to admit that they were right? You see, for centuries, the the Jews had labored under this unbearable burden of the law, and they could have been freed from the law if they'd really understood the purpose of it, but instead they'd made the law their means of salvation, and they had just simply locked themselves down in hopelessness. Well, the Gentiles, as you know, had never been a part of that. They were never given the Mosaic Law. They hadn't been through the ceremonies of Moses. They weren't party to all the perversions that the Jews had made of that. And so they weren't acquainted with the grief that people were living under, the Jews were living under, by all this change that they had made in the laws, uh, the Pharisees, that you're all familiar with that, the changes that they'd made in the law. They weren't familiar with all of that. And what the, the, the Judaizers were trying to do was to bring those Gentiles into that system and make them a part of that. And so Galatians is a warning uh, to them. This book is a warning to them that they really don't understand what they're asking for. That the law is not a way to life. It's not a way to freedom. But the law forever keeps people in bondage. Uh, They've been freed by faith in Christ, and now they're trying to beat down the uh, the door to the jail to get inside and lock themselves up again. So Paul is just, as I'm somewhat bewildered by their activity and what they've done, they just want to see their freedom destroyed. And so that's why Paul looks at them like crazy people. He says, oh, foolish Galatians, my, my, my. And I'm paraphrasing for you. 
how stupid that you are to have freedom, and now you want to be locked up and become servants to the tyranny of the law. And so beginning in verse number 23, he explains to us the helpful aspects of the law and that it did exactly what it was supposed to do, that it delivered us to Christ. The law delivers us to Christ in order that we might be saved. Now, let's start reading here, and I actually want to back up to verse number 22 and start there. He says, But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin, that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, there's just so much in those verses. That's why it's going to take us uh, a while to get through that. But so much good doctrine that we find here. And some have described what Paul says here in these verses as the perfect picture of the experience of every Christian that comes to the knowledge of Christ as Savior. These are the steps that are taken by every believer as the Holy Spirit helps the person to understand why he so desperately needs the Savior. Now, there is a progression in the Old Testament that goes from the promise that was made to Abraham, to the giving of the law, and finally coming to the cross. And that actually parallels the life of a person, of a believer, as he comes to Christ. Now, at first, God gave the promise uh, to Abraham, which was an unconditional promise. And God said that he would do something for Abraham that he was just totally incapable of doing for himself. And that promise that he gave Abraham, we know it includes all the things about the, the promised land and all of that. But the promise, the central idea of the promise, actually, is that God was going to give Abraham a redeemer. And that caused Abraham to step out in faith, to leave his home, to go to a place that he'd never been before, a place he'd never seen before, didn't know exactly where, where it was or how long it would take him to get there. But Abraham laid aside the idols that he worshipped, and by faith in God's promise, he stepped out to claim what God said that he could have. Now, the law came later. And that was given to Moses as sort of a legal road map that was never intended to be a stopping place. The law is intended as a guide to show us that living where we are and staying right where we are is hazard, hazardous to us. That there's nothing to be gained where we are. And the law will never let us stop with it and find comfort with it because it's always going to keep goading us over our sin. And so the law is needed. A road map to bring us to Christ is essential because without this, without the law, we would never be convicted of our sin. And so without the law, we would be tempted to stop and we would go no further. And we wouldn't understand how desperate that our condition is without Christ. And so if we don't have the law and don't under, have an understanding of sin, nobody can ever be saved. Those that have not heard the news that they're sinners... Uh, if they stay that way, they can't come to salvation. 
Now, the classic example of this is uh, in the words that Jesus spoke to the Pharisees when they were complaining that Jesus and the disciples were spending too much time with tax collectors and the prostitutes and the beggars and all of those, uh, Jesus told them the purpose and why he did this. And he says in Luke chapter 5, where it says here, but their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answering said unto them, they that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now, the Pharisees did not see the law in the right way. They were trying to find salvation in it, and they judged everyone to be inferior to them. They thought that everybody else was wicked and condemned by God, and they didn't see the desperate need of their own hearts. And so they thought they were well and whole. And as long as they thought like that, Jesus had no interest in them. Jesus was not going to help them as long as they thought, we don't actually need you. And so he went to the ones that were sin-sick because they realized their helplessness. Pharisees didn't think they needed Christ. They didn't think they needed anything at all. They weren't sick. But the publicans and the prostitutes and all of these sinners, these people that were poor and all these other people, they recognized this much they were sinners and they couldn't help themselves. And so with conviction, they were ready to listen to what Jesus had to say because he was the only one that could help them. And that's what we see here in our text, that every person that is helped by Christ is a person that has been convicted of his sin. The righteous demands of God's law have accentuated the evil condition of our heart, and it has brought us to the place that the sinner knows that we are forever knotted up, we're chained up, we're locked down with no hope of escape. And so we come to Christ because Jesus is the key that unlocks those chains. Jesus is the one who opens the prison doors and lets us go free. So the progression from the promise to the law to Christ is the same progression that takes place in the life of a repentant sinner. Christ is promised to him, and the law drives him out of his comfort zone. It pushes him out of the dead complacency that he's in. It drives him to Christ, who is the only one that can help. Now, here's where the story comes in. Because everything that I've just told you about the sinner where he is, that in hopelessness, hopelessness, no place to turn, nothing that he can do, is beautifully illustrated in John Bunyan's classic work, The Pilgrim's Progress. Now, what I'm going to do this evening is I'm going to talk to you a little bit about part of Bunyan's allegory of the Christian life. And that's what Pilgrim's Progress is all about. It's all about a person, uh, a person coming to Christ and the things that he goes through to get there and then what he goes through within the, in his Christian life. So Bunyan deals with, in his allegory with the same issues that we're looking at here in one of the most brilliant pieces of literature that's ever been written. There was a time when Christians had two books that they always had with them. Number one was the Bible. And they read the Bible faithfully, they studied the Bible, and number two was Pilgrim's Progress. I mean, you could hardly find a Christian anywhere that had not read Pilgrim's Progress. 
Now, today it's a much different story. Very few people have actually read it. But I, I would encourage you that if you've never read Pilgrim's Progress, that you get yourself a copy and you read it, and it's just, a, just an amazing story, and you'll just see Scripture all through it, and, every, and just the, everything just written out there for you in just an amazing way. So I want to briefly set the stage for you here uh, for the portion that I want to read. But Bunyan tells the story as if he had had a dream. And in this dream, he sees a man named Christian that lives in the city of destruction. And Christian was clothed in old tattered rags, he, and he carried this terrible, heavy burden on his back. I don't know if we could show that picture up there if we got that one. There we go. This is just an illustration from one of the, from one of the books. So uh, Pilgrim, he has a burden on his back, and in his hand he has a book which described the terrible destruction that was about to come on the city where he lived. And as he read that book, he began to tremble. And finally, he broke out in a bitter well, what shall I do? And so he went to his house, and he tried to keep quiet about it, but finally he couldn't contain himself any longer. And so he said to his wife, Oh, my dear wife, and you the children of my bowels, I, your dear friend, am in myself undone by reason of the burden that lieth hard upon me. Moreover, I am for certain informed that this our city will be burned with fire from heaven, in which fearful overthrow both myself and thee my wife and you my sweet babes shall miserable come to ruin, except which way I see not some way of escape can be found whereby we may be delivered." Now, the story goes on to say that uh, Christian's wife and his children didn't believe him. And they hoped that with a good night's sleep that he would wake up in the morning and come to his senses and all would be forgotten. But he did wake up in the morning, and the burden was more heavy to him than it had ever been before, more intense than ever. And so his family tried to calm him down and, and tried to persuade him not to do anything about it. But Christian would go out and he would walk through the fields and he would read the book. And as he kept reading that message, he became so distraught that he finally come to the place that he said, What shall I do to be saved? And the book that he was reading was the law of God. Now, he could have run this way or he could have run that way, but he was so perplexed that he did not know where to run. And this is when he met a man by the name of Evangelist who heard him cry out. Now, I'm going to read to you uh, from some more from Pilgrim's Progress. And I, I thought that, well, well, maybe what I ought to do is pick one of the modern versions of it and read it to you, and maybe you'd understand it a little bit better. But there's just no way that you can beat the language that Bunyan writes in. And so I'm just going to read it to you like he did, and I'll, maybe I'll give you a few words in here that will help your understanding a little bit. So Christian meets Evangelist. And Evangelist asks him, Wherefore dost thou cry? And Christian answered, Sir, I perceive by the book in my hand that I am condemned to die, and after that to come to judgment. And I find that I'm not willing to do the first, nor able to do the second. So Evangelist conversed with him a little bit more, and he found out that Christian was afraid of dying and going to hell, and that burden that was on his back was sure to take him there. So Evangelist asked him, Then why are you standing still here? Why are you standing here? And Christian said, because I don't know where to run. And it was then that evangelist pointed him towards the wicked gate. No, not the wicked gate, but the wicked gate. And he said, you need to go through that gate, and then it will be told you what you must do. 
Now, I'm going to skip over quite a bit of this to get as close to the point that needs to be made in the sermon. But the burden on Christian's back, of course, represents his sin. And he's helpless to get rid of it. There's no way that he can get it off his back, even though there were some who claimed that they could help him do it. So on his way to the wicked gate, he met a gentleman who was called Mr. Worldly Wise Man. Now, as Christian was walking solitarily by himself, he espied one afar off come crossing over the field to meet him. And their hap was to meet just as they were crossing the way of each other. The gentleman's name that met him was Mr. Worldly Wise Man. He dwelt in the town of Carnal Policy, a very great town, and also hard by or next to the place where Christian came. This man then, meeting with Christian and having some inkling of him, for Christian's setting forth from the city of destruction was much noised abroad, not only in the town where he lived, but also it became the town talk in some other places. Mr. Worldly Wiseman, therefore, having some guess or realizing who he was, by beholding his laborious going, by observing his sighs and groans and the like, began to thus enter into some talk with Christian. So world says, how now, good fellow, whither away after this burden manner? Where are you going in such a bird with this great burden? Christian said, a burden manner indeed as ever, I think poor creature had. And whereas you ask me whither away, I tell you, sir, I'm going to yonder wicket gate before me. For there, as I am informed, I shall be put into a way to be rid, rid of my heavy burden. World says, hast thou a wife and children? And Christian said, yes. But I'm so laden with this burden that I cannot take that pleasure in them as formerly. Methinks as if I had none. World says, Will thou hearken unto me if I give thee counsel? Christian says, Well, if it's good, I will, for I stand in need of good counsel. So world says, I would advise thee then that thou with all speed get rid thyself of thy burden. For thou wilt never be settled in thy mind till then, nor canst thou enjoy the benefits of the blessing which God hath bestowed upon thee till then. And Christian replies, well, that's what I seek for, even to be rid of this heavy burden. But to get it off myself I cannot, nor is there any man in our country that can take it off my shoulders. Therefore am I going this way as I told you that I may be rid of my burden." And world says, well, who bid thee to go this way to be rid of thy burden? And Christian said, a man that appeared to me to be a very great and honorable person. His name, as I remember, is Evangelist. World says, I beshrew him for his counsel. There is not a more dangerous and troublesome way in the world than is that which unto which he hath directed thee, and that thou shalt find if thou wilt be ruled by his counsel. Thou hast met with something as I perceive already. For I see the dirt, the slough of despond is upon thee. But that slough is the beginning of sorrows that do attend those that go in that way. Hear me, I am older than thou. Thou art like to meet with in the way which thou goest. Weariness, a wearisomeness, painfulness, hunger, perils, nakedness, sword, lions, dragons, darkness, and in a word death and what not. These things are certainly true, having been confirmed by many testimonies. And why should a man so carelessly cast away himself by giving heed to a stranger? Now, do you recognize that those are the same things that Jesus said that you would encounter? Those who deny themselves and take up their cross and follow him? 
And Christian said, why, sir, this burden upon my back is more terrible to me than all those things which you have mentioned. Nay, methinks I care not what I meet in the way. If so be, I can meet also with deliverance from my burden. And then world asked him, how camest thou, thou by this burden at first? And Christian said, by reading the book in my hand. Now that's an interesting question, isn't it? Where did you get that burden? And Christian said, I read it in this book in my hand. What he's talking about, the law had revealed the sinfulness that he was in. And world says, but why wilt thou seek for ease this way, seeing so many dangers attended? Especially since, hadst thou but patience to hear me, I could direct thee to the attaining of what thou desirest, without the dangers that thou in this way will run thyself into. Yea, and the remedy is at hand. Besides, I will add that instead of the dangers, thou shalt meet with much safety, friendship, and content. And Christians say, pray, sir, open this secret to me. And world says, why, in yonder village, the village is named morality, there dwells a gentleman whose name is legality, a very judicious man, and a man of very good name, that has skill to help men off with such burdens as thine are from their shoulders. Yea, to my knowledge, he hath done a great deal of good this way. Aye, and besides, he hath skill to cure those that are somewhat crazed in their wits with their burdens. To him, as I said, thou mayest go, and be helped presently. His house is not quite a mile from this place. And if he should not be at home himself, he hath a pretty young man to his son, whose name is Civility. That can do it as well as the old gentleman himself. There, I say, thou mayest be eased of thy burden. And if thou art not minded to go back to the former habitation, as indeed I would not wish thee, thou mayest send for thy wife and children to thee to this village, where there are houses now stand empty, one which thou mayest have at reasonable rates. Provision there also cheap and good, and that which will make thy life the more happy is, to be sure, there thou shalt live by honest neighbors in credit and good fashion." You know, I read that and I thought about so many Christians. If they can just make it to the village where Easy Street is. If they can just go someplace else where it's so much easier, where they find cheaper houses and live in credit in good fashion, that's where they'll go. Now was Christian somewhat at a stand. But presently he concluded, if this be true, which this gentleman has said, my wisest course is to take his advice. And with that, thus further spoke. Sir... Which way to this honest man's house? The world says, do you see yonder hill? And Christian said, yes, very well. By that hill you must go, and the first house you come at is his. Now the hill that he's talking about is Mount Sinai. And so he's directed him to Mount Sinai, to the law, to try to find a way to relieve himself of his burden. So Christian turned out of his way to go to Mr. Legality's house for help, but behold, when he was got now hard by the hill or next to the hill, it seemed so high. And also that side of it that was next to the wayside did hang so much over that Christian was afraid to venture further, lest the hill should fall on his head. Wherefore there he stood still and wadded not, or he didn't know what to do. Also his burden now seemed heavier to him than while he was in his way. There came also flashes of fire out of the hill that made Christian afraid that he should be burned. Here, therefore, he sweat 
and did quake for fear. And there you see, this is exactly what Paul explains to us, what the law does to us. It's not the stopping place. You don't want to go there because all of it does is beat you down, makes you quake with fear. The fire comes out of the mountain at you. That's what the law does. When Christians unto carnal men give ear, out of their way they go and pay for it dear. For master worldly wise men can but show a saint the way to bondage and woe. And now he began to be sorry that he had taken Mr. Worldly Wiseman's counsel, and with that he saw evangelists coming to meet him, at the sight also of whom he began to blush for shame. So evangelists drew nearer and nearer, and coming up to him, he looked upon him with a severe and dreadful countenance, and thus began to reason with Christian. What dost thou hear, Christian, said he, at which words Christian knew not what to answer. Wherefore at present he stood speechless before him, Then said Evangelist further, Art not thou the man that I found crying outside of the walls of destruction? Yes, sir, I am the man. Did not I direct thee the way to the little wicked gate? Yes, dear sir, said Christian. How is it then that thou art so quickly turned aside, for thou art now out of the way? Christian said, Well, I met with a gentleman so soon as I had got over the slough of despond, who persuaded me that I might, in the village before me, find a man that would take off my burden. The evangelist said, What was he? And Christian says, He looked like a gentleman and talked much to me, and got me at last to yield. So I came hither, but when I beheld this hill and how it hangs over the way, I suddenly made a stand lest it should fall on my head. Evangelist says, what said that gentleman to you? Why, he asked me whither I was going, and I told him. And what said he then? He asked me if I had a family, and I told him. But said I, I'm so loaden with the burden that is on my back that I cannot take pleasure in them as formerly. Evangelist, and what said he then? Well, he bid me with speed get rid of my burden, and I told him that it was ease that I sought. And I said, I'm therefore going to yonder gate to receive further direction, how I might get to the place of deliverance. So he said that he would show me a better way and short, not so attended with difficulties as the way, sir, that you set me in. Which way, said he, will direct you to a gentleman's house that has skill to take off these burdens. So I believed him and turned out of the way into this. If haply, I might be soon eased of my burden. But when I came to this place and beheld things as they are, I stopped for fear, as I said, of danger. But now I don't know what to do. Then said Evangelist, Stand still a little, that I may show, that I may show thee the words of God. So he stood trembling. Then said Evangelist, Evangelist, See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escape not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven. He said, Moreover, Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. He also did thus apply them. Thou art the man that art running into this misery. Thou hast begun to reject the counsel of the Most High and to draw back thy foot from the way of peace, even almost to the hazarding of thy perdition. Then Christian fell down at his feet as dead, crying, Woe is me, for I am undone. At the sight of which evangelists caught him by the right hand, saying, All manner of sin and blasphemies shall be forgiven unto men. Be not faithless, but believing. Then did Christian again a little revive, and stood up trembling as at first before evangelist. Then evangelist proceeded 
saying, Give more earnest heed to the things that I shall tell thee of. I will now show thee who it was that deluded thee, and who it was to also to whom he sent thee. The man that met thee is one worldly wise man, and rightly is he so called, partly because he savoreth only the doctrine of this world. Therefore, he always goes to, to, uh, to the town of morality to church. And partly because he loveth that doctrine best, for it saveth him best from the cross. And because he is of this carnal temper, therefore he seeketh to pervert my ways, though right. Now there are three things in this man's counsel that thou must utterly abhor. One, his turning thee out of the way. Two, his laboring to render the cross odious to thee. And three, his setting thy feet in that way that leadeth unto the administration of death. First, thou must abhor his turning thee out of the way and thine own consenting thereunto, because this is to reject the counsel of God for the sake of the counsel of worldly wise men. The Lord says, Strive to enter in at the straight gate, the gate to which I sent thee, for straight is the gate that leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. From this little wicked gate, and from the way thereto, hath this wicked man turned thee, to the bringing of thee almost to destruction, Hate, therefore, his turning thee out of the way, and abhor thyself for hearkening to him. Secondly, thou must abhor his laboring to render the cross odious unto thee, for thou art to prefer it before the treasures in Egypt. Besides, the king of glory hath told thee that he that will save his life shall lose it, and he that cometh after me and hateth not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also he cannot be my disciple." I say, therefore, for man to labor to persuade thee that that shall be thy death, without which the truth had said thou canst not have eternal life, this doctrine thou must abhor. Thirdly, thou must hate his setting of thy feet in the way that leadeth to the ministration of death. And for this thou must consider to whom he sent thee, and also how unable that person was to deliver thee from thy burden. He to whom thou wast sent for ease, being by name legality, is the son of the bondwoman, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. And we'll get to that part in Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 27. And is, in mystery, this Mount Sinai, which thou hast feared, will fall on thy head. Now if she with her children on bondage, how canst thou expect thy them to be made free? Same question Paul asked the Galatians. This legality, therefore, is not able to set thee free from thy burden. No man has ever yet rid himself of his burden by him, nor ever is it like to be. Ye cannot be justified by the works of the law, for by the deeds of the law no man living can be rid of his burden. Therefore, Mr. Worldly Wiseman is an alien, and Mr. Legality is a cheat. And for his son's civility, notwithstanding his simpering looks, he is but a hypocrite and cannot help thee. Believe me, there is nothing in all this noise that thou hast heard of these sottish men but a design to beguile thee of thy salvation by turning thee from the way in which I set thee. After this, Evangelist called aloud to the heavens for confirmation of what he had said. And with that, there came words and fire out of the mountain under which poor Christian stood that made the hair of his flesh stand up. The words were thus pronounced, As many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Now doesn't all of that bear... Just a remarkable resemblance to our text. 
The law will try to fool you into thinking that it is the way that you can be right with God. You hear it all the time. Just do good works. Do the best that you can. Everything's going to be all right. But Christian knew better. As he drew nearer to Mount Sinai, he felt like that mountain was going to fall on top of him. There wasn't any help to be found there. The book of the law had showed him that he was wrong, that he was in his sin. He could never be released from his burden by going that way. And so, as he read the law, it just made the burden heavier and heavier, and the way that he went in harder and harder. But the story doesn't end there. There... There's much more to read here. It continues on with the Christian life and the pitfalls that we go through, things that are to be avoided. But I can't read all of that to you. You you should read this for yourself. But I do want to read you one more part because you may wonder what happened to Christian's burden. Now, this is the part, as many times as I've read this, I don't know if I can finish it without... It's just too good. I mean, it, it just gets you right here. So Bunyan goes on to tell us what happened to Christian's burden. Now I saw in my dream that the highway up which Christian was to go was fenced on either side with a wall, and that wall was called salvation. Up this way, therefore, did burdened Christian run, but not without great difficulty because of the load on his back. He ran thus till he come at a place somewhat ascending, and upon that place stood a cross, and a little below in the bottom a sepulcher. So I saw in my dream that just as Christian came up to the cross, his burden loosed from off his shoulders and fell from off his back and began to tumble and continued to do so till it came to the mouth of the sepulcher where it fell in, and I saw it no more. Then another character says to Christian, What is it that makes you so desirous to go to Mount Zion? And Christian said, Why there I hope to see him alive, that did hang dead on the cross. And there I hope to be rid of all these things that to this day are in me an annoyance to me. There they say there is no death. And there I shall dwell with such company as I like best. For to tell you the truth, I love him because I was by him eased of my burden and I am weary of my inward sickness. I would fain be where I shall die no more and with a company that shall continually cry, Holy, holy, holy. I think I'll stop with that. I don't know if those words speak to you like they do to me, but we are burdened with sin, and Christ is the only one that can lift it. And when we come to him, all we can say is, Holy, holy, holy. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time that you've given us tonight. We thank you for men like John Bunyan, so many years ago, who was a preacher of the gospel of Christ, thrown in jail for 13 years because of preaching, forced to leave his, his family behind, a very sick child that he said that he, a blind child that he said that he loved more than life itself, and yet he was willing to go to jail and not stop preaching the gospel of Christ. And that's because he knew that there were so many people out there with the burden that he himself had experienced. Just like Christian in the story, a burden that is too great to be rid of, a burden that we cannot bear under, and one that will lead us straight into the fires of hell. So Bunyan preached and he preached and he preached even from the jail cell to people that would come by and listen because he had such a, a burden in his heart for people that were lost. 
Lord, I, I pray that you'd help us to see that. Help us to see the scriptures as clearly as he did, that he could take this part out of Galatians and tell a story like he did. Father, we thank you for that. Help us to realize who you are and dedicate ourselves wholly to you because you are holy, holy, holy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronan Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.